Welcome to On Tax, a Cravath podcast. I'm Len Tatey, a partner in the tax department of Cravath, Swain & Moore, a premier U.S. law firm based in New York City. On each episode of On Tax, I talk to professionals in the Cravath network about their life and work in the world of tax. We focus on the human side of tax law, highlighting the people, connections, and stories that make the space such a fascinating and dynamic area of practice. I hope you enjoyed this episode. On this episode, we'll hear from Steve Gordon. Steve is a tax partner at Cravath and for two decades was the head of Cravath's tax department. Steve will tell us about the day he interviewed at Cravath and we'll also hear about his philosophy for leading the tax department. Steve, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me here, Len. I'm, I'm really uh, happy to be here and looking forward to our conversation. Well, we're thrilled to have you. This is our first podcast. You're our inaugural guest. So thanks for doing this. So Steve, tell us about your background in the tax law, how you came to it and how you started. Well, I'll try to tell the short version of this because there's a long version too that gets very boring, except to me. (laughs) When I went to law school, I thought I really wanted to be a corporate lawyer and probably from there go into some sort of business. And at my law school, basic tax was not a required course formally, but you basically had to take basic income tax. And I took basic income tax. And for a whole lot of reasons, I sort of fell behind. And and you can't fall behind in a tax class. And I really, really struggled with it until right near the final. There were all these case names like Hort and Horse that all sounded the same. And I couldn't figure out how to reconcile the cases. And then I had a flash of of insight but it was too late right before the final that you couldn't reconcile these cases. So, look, I took the exam. I didn't do very well, but I thought, okay, I've done what I have to do in tax for my career. Do you remember what grade you got on the exam? I do. It was, um, I'm embarrassed to say this because uh, it was the lowest grade I got in law school, except it tied, it tied with professional responsibility. So if you roll all that forward and you think that it tells the future, I would become a very unethical, very bad tax lawyer. I I hope I've become an ethical and reasonably good tax lawyer. So I was looking for a job. I had 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 a great summer associate gig, my 2L summer in uh, one of the Los Angeles firms. But my wife and I decided we want to be on the East Coast. So I was interviewing with New York law firms. And, you know, they'd ask you, do you want to see litigators? Do you want to see corporate lawyers and so on? I said, well, I'm interested in being a corporate lawyer. But it turned out, this was late in the first semester of my first year, it turned out that I was taking a corporate tax course at that time, much to my surprise. The reason I took it was because I told people I'm going to be a corporate lawyer. He said, you should take corporate tax. And I said, why should I take corporate tax? Aren't there corporate tax lawyers who actually do that for a living? They said, yes, but they speak their own language. And taking corporate tax in law school is like getting the introductory French course. You're getting the introductory corporate tax course so you at least understand their language because it can be very esoteric. So this next part is, is actually 
completely true, even though sometimes I exaggerate for a fact. <laughs> it was a four-credit course, and I just made sure, having this not-so-great experience the year before in basic tax, I opened my transcript to make sure that in the unlikely event that I just failed the course and got an F because I wasn't going to understand anything, I could still graduate on time. <laughs> so I took the course and I had an unbelievably talented, difficult, but unbelievably talented professor. And what I found was that corporate tax was kind of interesting to my surprise. And it was interesting intellectually because in corporate tax, there's a few first principles that all sort of make sense. But then as you develop the first principles through cases and the like, all these first principles eventually collide. And you have to start making decisions about which first principle is going to trump which other first principle. And I was finding that interesting. So this was the fall of my 3L year. So when I went to law firms to interview, I said, you know, I'd like to be corporate lawyers, but in a kind of embarrassed way, I said, uh, taking tax scores, kind of interesting. And so at Cravath, I met a lot of corporate partners and associates during the day, all of whom I was, I was very impressed by. They were, you know, I'd always thought there was sort of a Cravath type, a sort of stuffy white shoe kind of person you'd expect to meet. And Everyone was so different and so interesting. But at the end of the day, they took me in to see the head of the tax department, who was a rather unique character. And I told them about this interest I had in, base, in, in corporate tax. And to sort of cut to the chase here, he said to me, why don't you try tax law here at Cravath for a year? And if you don't like it, you can switch to corporate. It's very hard to switch the other way. But it's easy to go from tax after a year to corporate. And after giving that a lot of thought, I decided to do that. And so I ended up at Cravath after I graduated from law school in the tax department. I said then, and I'll say now, as soon as I find something that I think would be more interesting or I enjoy more, I'm out of here in a flash. <laughs> but, that, but, but that was 40 years ago. It's interesting the way you talk about kind of coming to the tax law from a transactional interest and an interest in even a summer practicing corporate law. One of the things I've started to think about more and more as I do more interviewing and hiring of our associates is exactly that kind of path versus other paths to the tax law, you know, accounting backgrounds or finance backgrounds or other sorts of kind of professional experiences that might more naturally lend themselves to a tax career. But I think your path at Cravath sort of matches the path that I think we're trying to identify in a lot of people, which is we'd like to hire tax associates who would function well in our corporate department. We want to hire people who have kind of transactional perspectives and ways of thinking. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. I think what you've said is is very true. I mean, there are different paths into tax, and we see some people who've been very interested in tax you know, for a long time. Many of them were undergraduate accounting majors. Some come from the finance world. Some are really, really, really smart and enjoy the intellectual qualities of tax law. And indeed, what you'll find when you interview people who are tax lawyers or who would like to become tax lawyers is 
overwhelmingly at some point, if you ask them what they like to do, they say, I like to do puzzles. Um, uh-huh. And that's true of almost everyone who ends up in this part of the profession. But we also see people who could as easily be corporate lawyers. And for our particular kind of practice, where we have, for a firm our size, a relatively small tax department, and our practice is very, very much focused on corporate transactions, corporate finance, capital markets, mergers and acquisitions, and the like, that sort of natural inclination to thinking and enjoying the interpersonal hubbub of the corporate side of the practice is very is very useful. I have found that there are many tax lawyers who have, who come to tax because they're very intrigued by the deep intellectual quality of tax practice. It's very both broad and deep, but they have been attracted to it because they don't like what they perceive to be the interpersonal tension or conflict that is inherent in litigation, of course, and is also present in corporate law where you're negotiating for your client against someone else who's negotiating for their client. So tax does attract a lot of people who don't like that interpersonal tension. But what's good in our for our particular practice, which is so corporate-focused, is to find young lawyers who are interested in engaging with other people and trying to exert their will to get to the right answer for their clients. Right. That's right. So you come to Cravath after law school and you start your first day as a tax associate and you never go to corporate because you stay in tax. What do you think about when you think about your kind of early days as an associate? What kind of experiences did you have and what sorts of things come to mind when you reflect back on what you were doing? Well, I still think all these years later that what I was really loving about my young experience and now being older scares me is how much autonomy and leeway they seemed to give me. I know the partners were looking over my shoulder all the time. I know that now, but I didn't really know that then. And I thought they were a little crazy (laughs) to be pushing me out, doing work with clients, negotiating, dealing with other law firms. Uh, I thought they were kind of crazy pushing me out there with that much autonomy and responsibility. And as a young lawyer, I reveled in that. I really, really liked that. And, you know, I I ended up being good at it, somewhat to my surprise. So I look back and that was the thing about the younger part of my career that really sticks with me now as I look back on it. Of course, I love the substantive work. I learned so much and every Every day I learn so much, but the feeling that these people must be really crazy or irresponsible to let me, who's a fourth-year associate, Mm -hmm. go out in the world and represent Cravath, Swain, and Moore in this transaction. Wow, if I were them, I wouldn't let me do this. But now that I'm a partner and pushing younger associates to do that, knowing there really is a safety net behind them. And you you made partner, as I recall, in the mid-80s, the 
tax reform in 1986 had just had just passed, I suppose, and there were many new substantive things to learn. But can you talk to us a little bit about your career as a partner and then as the head of the tax department, what sorts of vision you've had for the department and what kind of atmosphere here you've tried to create? It's a, re- it's a really good question, Len. I, I became a partner in 1987. And just being a tax partner, I had a number of administrative roles within the firm. I was, we, we have a, two hiring partners at all times. And for four years, I was one of the hiring partners. And then I became the partner in charge of administration in the 90s when we did a, a big overhaul of, of our administrative support for our, our, legal, our legal work. And then after that, around 2000, I became a co-head of the department and eventually the head of the department. Now as I'm older and passing the torch, again, the co-head. What I've really tried to do in the years that I've headed the department is to create a culture where smart people can collaborate with one another, feeling like they're in a safe environment, but are encouraged to really push themselves hard. As we've talked about already, we look for young lawyers who enjoy working on corporate transactions because that is what we do. We're not isolated in a library writing memos. We also look for, we try to train for, we try to select for lawyers who work well with others. Some people are brilliant but they're kind of lone rangers. And some people are just naturally collaborative. We look for people who will work well together because the support that associates give to one another is an incredibly important part of each associate's experience, both their their tax learning, professional experience, and their growth as a person and as a lawyer. And I felt responsible for creating an atmosphere where people like each other. They like working each other. They trust each other. No one's looking over their shoulder or behind their back to make sure that there's there's not someone coming after them. Uh, And I've, I've tried to build that same feeling of collegiality understates it, but that same feeling of of warmth at the partner level, because I think the way the partners treat one another is a very big determinant of how the associates learn to treat each other. So I have tried to make this a place of the highest professional quality, but the highest personal quality too. The word that you used, safe, is an interesting word. I had never really thought of that in terms of the way that the department functioned, but I can now, as you mentioned it, think back to two things you said to me when I was... (sighs) A first-year associate that I guess really reflect that. One is um, we had just finished your CLE about basically how to be a tax lawyer at Cravath, not substantive things, but really just procedural stuff. And one of the things you touched on was what our hours should be, you know, when we should get into the office. And you say you don't punch a clock, but generally clients are going to be expecting you around nine o'clock in the morning, not necessarily right at nine, but around nine o'clock. And before we left the room, actually, we all stood up walking out of the room and you pulled me aside and you said at the time I had a five-year-old and I was living in the city and I was walking to kindergarten every day 
And you said, listen, Len, I just want to be clear with you, even though I said, you know, try and show up around nine o'clock, that doesn't mean you shouldn't walk your son to school every day if that's what you need to do. And you're going to get in at 920 because of that. That's like fine. And I remember feeling as a first year associate that that was really kind of going out of your way to take care of, you know, my particular situation, number one, to be aware of it. And number two, to come up and say something about it. The second thing was one night, I mean, I was living in an apartment on the Upper East Side with uh, my wife and our four kids. And one night I was working real hard on some issue that came up and it was after 11 o'clock and you were the supervising partner. But as you said, my experience was, wow, I was, I was being put on, on a, in a position to do a lot of stuff myself. And a hard question came up that I wasn't familiar with. And I had to call you at home after 11 o'clock at night. And I think maybe even your wife answered the phone and she had to pass the phone over to you. And it's clear that, that that didn't happen a lot. And I apologize sort of profusely for bothering you. And before we got into the substance of the issue, you stopped and you said very clearly, you know, we give you a lot of responsibility and we cannot do that comfortably unless we know as partners that you're going to reach out to us when you need us. And that was another sort of teaching moment for me, not just as an associate, but as a, as a, as a professional, as a lawyer, as I grew into a senior associate and then as a partner, the sorts of ways to take care of the people who work for you. I never really thought about it as safety or security, but it really resonated with me when you mentioned that. Question I have for you now, you, you know, over the course of your career, you've seen a lot of different tax lawyers and tax professionals, people who've worked for you, people who've worked alongside you, tax partners at other firms, tax directors. What do you think the best tax lawyers, the best tax people do well? What are some skills that they all kind of have or attributes that mark sort of solid performance? Well, er everyone has a slightly different combination of ingredients. We're all like cakes and we don't all taste the same. There are a few things that are in common. First, and, and probably the most obvious, is a very deep knowledge of a broad portion of the tax law. Just you have to know your law. You also have to know your lore. So there's law and there's lore. And, you know, lore is like what people expect in the various markets we act in. In the M&A market, what's sort of the market norm for how you deal with pre-closing taxes or in the capital markets area, what's the norm for when you do or don't have a gross up in the event of withholding tax? People need to know the law and it's really important that they know the law too. I think the other really great qualities that I see in, in people who are really skilled are very good judgment and very good communication skills. Judgment involves knowing the law and knowing the lore and then knowing how to apply it. You've heard me say and others have heard me say that as lawyers, one of our prime jobs is to help our clients figure out what they want to do and then get other people to do what we want them to do with, without violence by convincing them, right? And the way you convince people to do what you want to do, the way you exert your will on behalf of your client is through judgment, thinking things through the right way, thinking them through from your perspective, 
thinking them through from the perspective of the person on the other side of the table, thinking about what's realistic, what the market norms are, what really is a a problem, but it's only a small problem or an opportunity that may be hidden someplace that you can find. All that comes from judgment and experience, and that's really important. And the ability to communicate. I said earlier that there are people who are drawn to tax law because they like the hyper-intellectual quality of tax law, but they're, they're in it because they don't enjoy all of the personal interaction that happens in negotiations or litigation. Well, your ability to communicate is really, really important. And it takes you out of that category because, as I said, what you're trying to do is use your judgment to help your clients figure out what's best for them and then how to achieve it. And communication is important in every aspect of that. Communicating with your client, who might be a tax VP, understands tax, but probably had as much experience in whatever sort of transaction you're doing is, how to talk to the CFO or the CEO or board members. You know, tax lawyers have a reputation for talking in code and code section numbers and the like. This is like section 358, blah, blah, blah. That's not how you talk to people to get them to really understand what you want. You need to be able to communicate to your client first what the issues are, what the opportunities are, what the risks are in language that any a reasonably well-educated, reasonably bright person without a tax background can understand. And you need to do that in a negotiation as well. You need to be able to convince through good communication skills people on the other side of the table why your proposal actually makes sense for them. Now, not to belabor this too much, but the difficulty with developing good communication skills is this, there's a sort of irony or conflict. Um, There's a conflict between accuracy and clarity. So the first thing we learn in law school, and that's reinforced to us as young associates, is you need to be accurate. And if things are complex, you need to think through the complexities ahead of time. You have to see everything that might apply and test whether it does or doesn't apply. You have to look to see where there's exceptions and see if the exception does or doesn't apply. And that's very complex. But when you're explaining this to someone who's not another tax lawyer, to make it clear, you have to actually overlook a lot of that complexity because it's not important to the particular goal that you're trying to achieve with your client. You've ruled out odd exceptions already, so you don't have to communicate them. But the problem is, having been trained to be precise, to then take that and to try to be clear is very hard because basically everything you're saying is wrong. It's wrong in some way if it were being tested for precision. Just on that point, sorry, one of the things I've noticed in working with very, very sharp associates is they have to be taught that this is happening, that this transmutation of really complicated stuff is, is, is getting put through some sort of process, and it's going to come out in a way that sounds imprecise. And oftentimes, 
very sharp lawyers, particularly young lawyers right out of law school, will try and stop me or you from saying it the way you're saying it because they know you're cutting the corner and they don't want you to say something that's wrong. On the other hand, over time, I think that once they kind of realize that this is happening, then it's a very powerful moment because then they can actually learn from it and they can develop their own style and practice that this skill. And then by the time somebody is, is you know, a third or a fourth year associate, they're able to do that quite well. But the first thing is you got to observe that it's actually happening. You do. And I do observe when I'm working with tax lawyers from other firms that the best of them are all really good communicators. They're good communicators to me. They're good communicators to my client. They turn to their client. They communicate things very well, all while we're in the room. And I I have to say, I really enjoy working with people like that Mm -hmm. because it's, it's really a high professional quality and it really facilitates getting things done. For sure. Well, Steve, we we only have a few minutes left. I wondered if we could talk about something other than tax. Can you tell us what you like to do when you're not working on tax issues or tax matters? What are your hobbies? Well, I don't really have any uh, hobbies per se, but I like to ski in the winter and uh, I like to ski out west. They haven't grown up in upstate New York. I've been skiing since I was a little kid but I'm very happy not to be skiing in upstate New York very often anymore. Uh, I feel very blessed about that. I like to play golf in the good weather. The ratio of effort to result that I've put into golf, it has to be record-breaking because there's been so much effort and so little progress. But nevertheless, I enjoy getting out where it's green and quiet and I don't look at my phone and it smells good. And I guess the one other thing I'd I'd mention is pretty much every night before I go to bed, I do a Sudoku puzzle and I I find it just focuses my mind on something meaningless. Uh, It takes some concentration and lets everything else kind of go away and wait till tomorrow. So you do those wicked hard Sudokus, like ultra challenging ones. You can work up to that. I do. I do. It took a little while to, but. Once in a while, I, I fail, but I, I get more of them than I don't. So, you know, my effort to result ratio for Sudoku has been much better than it is in golf. <laughs> of course, that's a very low bar to get over. It's interesting. You know, I have a long commute to get to the city when we're working in the office anyway. And I find that from time to time, I go back to crossword puzzles. And I think I get the same kind of benefit, both coming to work and, and coming home. It kind of resets my mind. It still keeps it active, but it's sort of active in different ways. That's very interesting. Well, Steve, it's been a pleasure to have you join us. Thanks for being our first guest. I hope that you enjoyed the visit. I did, Lynn. I enjoyed it very much. That's all for this episode of On Tax, a Cravath podcast. You can find us online at cravath.com slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. I'm your host, Len Tatey. Thanks for listening.